that I preached a sermon on Acts 26, the, the beginning of the chapter. And I want to return this morning to Acts 26, verses 19 through 32. And in this passage, Paul is defending himself before King Agrippa and Festus. Now, Paul had been arrested after his second missionary journey. Well, he was going back and visiting the churches that he had planted. So that's the, the timing. He'd gone on his first missionary journey, gone on his second missionary journey, and afterwards, after visiting those churches, he's arrested. And by the time we uh, come to this passage here in Acts, he's been in jail for a couple of years already. He's suffered uh, false accusations by the Jews, and he has been transferred out of Jerusalem for his safety because uh, many men there were intending to, uh, I don't think assassinate is the right word, uh, but uh, get a lynch mob together and, and... bust him out of custody so that they could end his life. So that's the context. And Paul then is brought to uh, the governor and he is transferred to safety and then he's there and the Jews keep wanting him to be put to death and, of course, Paul obviously wants to be just given justice, which would be releasing him because he's done nothing against Roman law. And in the end, when there's a change of power, a new governor is brought in, the old governor doesn't have the uh, character to do what he's supposed to do. And how many times does that describe us? Yeah, it's the end of the job. It's the end of our homework. It's the end of the day. Let's just let's just go to sleep leaving that undone. There's there's pressures that are a great excuse for us just to leave that good work that needs to be done undone, right? And so this is <clears throat> this is where the phrase never do today what you can put off until tomorrow comes from right comes from our hearts and and uh and our laziness and our lack of character That's what the governor did. He lacked character, and so, and he lacked, he lacked manliness to go ahead and release Paul as Paul deserved. And so Paul ends up having to do what? Does anybody know? Anybody remember what Paul does? He appeals to... Rome, which is to say he appeals to Caesar. He's taking it all the way to the top. Well, before he gets sent off to Rome to see Caesar, to stand trial before the emperor, the governor, the new governor, has to figure out what in the world he's going to do, what he's going to say about this guy. And so he asks King Agrippa, who's visiting him, to come and hear what Paul is and what he has to say so that they can figure out what to write in a letter. 
to send to the emperor. Well, let's read and see what happens. We'll start with verse 19 of Acts chapter 26. Turn there with me, please, and stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts 26, verses 19 through 32. Again, we're picking up in the middle of Paul's defense. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring, both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance." For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also, all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. The king stood up, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, This man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So many wonderful things in God's Word. What a beautiful, beautiful story this is of Paul's faithfulness. What does he say that he's doing? He says that he's testifying. What does he mean by saying that he is testifying? Well, Remember, we picked up in the middle of his defense, right? And so what comes earlier in his defense needs to just be filled in a little bit to make sense of this. He tells the story of when he became a Christian. Remember, he was on the road to Damascus and the light, and Jesus speaking to him, and then his repentance, and his, his blindness, and then his repentance, and his healing, and all of that. That's, that's when Paul became a Christian, but then his story about his faith, about what he's been doing, continues into what we read, right? And so that's why he says, I did not prove at the beginning, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring... To who? Well, he says, starts out at Damascus. And also then he goes back to Jerusalem and he's declaring there. And then throughout all the region of Judea. 
and then even to the Gentiles. So he's declaring everywhere he goes, what? Everywhere he goes, declaring that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. And he says that this is the reason that he was arrested. Because everywhere he went, he kept declaring that people needed to repent and perform deeds that go along with repentance. And so Paul says that he keeps on testifying. I stand to this day testifying both to small and great. There in verse 22. And then, this is, remember, this is a defense. So what does he say? Yeah, I've been testifying, but I haven't said anything other than what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. In other words, this is the ancient Jewish religion. The religion of God that is protected by Roman law, remember. So when he says this to King Agrippa, he's he's counting on King Agrippa's knowledge of the Jewish people, of the Jewish religion, of the events that took place with Jesus Right? He, that's why he says none of this has taken place in a corner, even though most excellent Festus, right, <laughs> interrupts him and says, You're crazy, Paul. You're insane. You're out of your mind. So when Paul says that he has been testifying and continues to testify to this day, What does he mean? What he's talking about is he is speaking of the work of God in his life. He's speaking of the work of God in his life. That's one part of his testimony. And the other part of his testimony there is living in agreement with the way he speaks. Because that's what he's calling the people to do, right? He says, I have repented... And I am living a life performing deeds in accordance with repentance. And I'm calling other people to repent and to live a life of deeds in accordance with repentance. You see this? And so, it's clear from what Paul says... What he means by saying that he's testifying. So now I have a question for you, and that question is, must we testify? Must we testify? It's easy for us to take for granted the necessity of testifying, And to take it for granted in the way that you take for granted uh, the necessity of us praying. Which is to say that we know that we should, and then we never do it. Right? Like so many things, we, we can take for granted that we ought to, that we know we're supposed to, and then it just never crosses our mind to actually do it. And so we never do it. So must we testify? Well, we don't have any explicit command here from Paul or from God to us that we have to testify, and yet we have a wonderful example of somebody who is living a life whose deeds accord, go, you know, are unified with repentance. And his testimony to us is that he constantly is testifying. Right? But must we testify?
Turn to Revelation chapter 12. Let's read a few verses from Revelation. Again, chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. And there was war in heaven. Do I have your attention, boys? And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of what? The word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. That is victory over the dragon. That is victory over Satan. That is victory over his accusations and over his temptations. The testimony of the saints. And so must you testify. The answer to that question is, do you want to defeat the dragon? If you desire to defeat the dragon, you must testify. That, together with the blood of Jesus Christ, is what will defeat Satan of old. First Corinthians 1, 4-7 says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we see about what it means to testify? or to have a witness concerning Christ, a testimony concerning Christ, confirmed in us. You guys understand that having that testimony confirmed in us is associated with what what three things? Speech, knowledge, Indeed, that's how the testimony is confirmed in you. And so, do you have knowledge of who God is? Do you have knowledge of what He has done for you? And the answer is yes, you know. You know what He has done. You know the gospel. You have heard it. And then the question is, does your speech... Testify to what Christ has done. And do your deeds confirm your testimony? Are your deeds in accordance with repentance? Paul speaks 
whenever he's given a chance. Right? He testifies with his words. In all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. Because of the word of their testimony. There's no, there's no escaping words being central to our testimony. And so what are the words that we say to each other? What are the words that we say to our neighbors? What are the words that we say when nobody is around? The words that Paul speaks are always, 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 always. His testimony. Now here we are. We're a new church, a small church plant still, right? And I say to you, now you have to, you have to testify. Because that's what we see from Paul, that's what we see in Revelation, that's what we see in 1 Corinthians, right? The necessity of our testimony. And you look back at me and you say, yes, I take it for granted that I need to, just like I take it for granted that I need to pray. And then you, and then you say, how, right? That's what, isn't that where you really, you, you, you want help knowing how to testify. You don't want me to just lay the law on you and say, okay, now it says you got to testify, so you guys all better go testify. I mean, think about those of you who are in school, in a Christian school, right? Some of you guys are at Mars Hill, and you're thinking, okay, great. You know, I mean, he says testify, and, and there's a reason that it never occurs to me to testify, there's no need. Everybody there is a Christian, right? It's a Christian school, and, and besides, the teaching is fantastic, and the, the teachers are fantastic, and the message is filled with God's truth. What need is there for me to testify? Or you mothers who are at home, and you're there, sitting there with your children all day long, and what need is there for you to testify? Or you men at work who are like, well, I do my best to avoid having to talk to people at all so that I don't ever have to testify. Or maybe that's not what you do. You talk to people and then you say, but it never, you know, there's never an opportunity. It doesn't, doesn't just come up, you know. And, but when it comes up, when somebody asks me, then of course I, I, I stumble through testifying to some small degree or another. Or, you know, I work in a Christian workplace, and so what opportunities are there to testify? And so we all have these different challenges. What is it going to mean for me to testify, right? What is it going to look like for me to testify? Or, I have testified, and you know what happened? They called me crazy. I learned my lesson. Paul was just an idiot. He didn't learn his lesson. That's the difference, right? Look at Festus. Paul! He interrupts him, yells, Paul! You're crazy! Whatever they're teaching you over there, it's making your mind go.
Why does Festus think Paul is crazy? Really, I mean, why does Festus, does, does what Paul's been saying really sound that crazy? The reason that he says that Paul is crazy is because Paul is calling all men, both great and small, to what? To repent and turn to God and perform deeds appropriate to repentance. To repent and turn to God and perform deeds. What? What kind of deeds? Appropriate to repentance. Now that's his testimony, right? That's him testifying. And now I ask you, do you have any opportunity where you are to call people to repent, to turn to God, and to perform deeds appropriate to repentance? And the answer is, yes, absolutely, every single day, no matter who you're with. No matter where you work, no matter where you go to school, no matter where you spend your day, your time, in a new environment, in an old environment, in front of rulers, in front of your little kids. You are among people who need to be called to repent and to turn to God and to perform deeds in accordance that are appropriate to repentance. And if you cannot see that among the people that you are spending time with, okay, first of all, you shouldn't believe the lie that everybody that's at your Christian school is a Christian. You shouldn't believe the lie that everyone at your Christian workplace is a Christian. But even setting that to the side, Okay, and you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't believe that all of your children are already regenerated before they've learned to talk. I don't deny the possibility, you understand. <laughs> I don't deny the possibility that some of the people at the Christian school are Christians. I assume it. I also assume some of your children are believers, right? But we don't assume a universal that God has made clear isn't true. The church itself is mixed with both wheat and tares. How much more your Christian workplace or your Christian school or your family? Do you understand? But now you look around you and you look at your coworkers and you look at your conversations that you're having with them and the things that you're hearing about what your friends at school are doing. You watch how they interact with their mom and dad or their siblings or their teacher or their friends at school. You watch what they do at lunch. You look at the things that are secret but that you notice. And I ask you, is there nothing there that they need to be called to repent of. Can you really not see anything? Because if you can't, then forget it. Forget them, and you need to start looking at yourself. Do you have anything that needs to be repented of? Do you need to turn to God? 
Is it time for you to begin performing deeds in accordance, appropriate to repentance? It is very easy to go through life in a Christian place, Christian family, Christian workplace, Christian school, Christian church, Christian culture, okay? It is very easy to go through life living as a Christian. Not being a Christian, you understand, but living as if you are a Christian. Which is to say, I know good and bad, I have knowledge of right and wrong, and I generally try to stay out of trouble. But listen, generally trying to stay out of trouble is nothing like what Paul says his testimony is. Do you hear me? Trying to keep from being punished, trying to keep your teacher from yelling at you, trying to keep your mom from being mad at you, trying to keep your dad from disciplining you, and so forth, okay? That is not what Paul's testimony is, is it? It starts with repentance and turning to God and then performing deeds in accordance with repentance. Not deeds that are generally like the the right choice to make. Do you see how big a difference there is between those things? In other words, what I'm trying to get at is that Knowledge does not save you. Speaking does not save you. Doing good deeds does not save you. This is all to be your testimony that God has saved you. These are the things that you're supposed to do out, coming out of the fact that you have been saved by God. In other words, having a testimony does not mean that there was some point in your life where you had been doing drugs and sleeping around and you had been hating and... Uh, arguing and fighting with your parents and you had been uh, very bitter at God and you had been rejecting everything that you were taught growing up about what is right and wrong. And then one day, God changed you. Okay, That's what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Right? <laughs> that is one way that it may look it may be a dramatic, amazing story where you were, you were changed from an amazing, uh, amazingly obvious son of hell into a son of God, right? And that everybody who looked at you and blinked was like, whoa, what happened to him? What happened to her? But that's only one of the ways that this happens, right? That change can take place. In somebody who has lived their whole life pretending to be a Christian and that nobody knew any better than that you must have been a Christian. And then one day you realized that you needed for the first time to repent, to actually repent of what you've done, of who you are, of your wicked desires, and to begin performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Not deeds appropriate to living as a hypocrite. As similar as those two things can look.
your speech, your knowledge, your deeds, your testimony do not save you. They flow out of the fact that you have been changed. And even if you have never had one of those huge, amazing, light from the sky, God speaking to you, salvation stories, if you cannot look at your life and say, I have been changed, then you have no testimony. Do you understand? And if you have no testimony, then it's no wonder that you look around you and you can't see anything that anybody else needs. If you are a son of God, you have a testimony. Because you know the places where God has worked in your life. And you can testify about those things that God has done for you, to you. And eventually, through you. Through you. It's very tempting not to testify, isn't it? We feel like we lack enough knowledge. Where has God given you understanding? Knowledge. Where has God given you knowledge? Well, you, you know, here in God's Word, this is filled with knowledge, with wisdom, right? Study it. But where has God given you wisdom? Where has He given you knowledge? Isn't it generally in the places where you have had to repent? Where you have struggled and learned to live in obedience? Where you can testify that God has changed you, has been changing you, is continuing to change you? And so do you, do you have knowledge, the necessary knowledge to testify? Not, not could you learn better how to testify from God's Word? The answer to that is always yes. But if you are a Christian, you have the knowledge necessary to testify. Because you have been changed and you know about that change. You know about that area in your life and and all the knowledge that is necessary for Paul here to say to King Agrippa and to Festus and to Bernice and all the others who are sitting with them is, I was on the road to Damascus and God spoke to me through Jesus Christ, his son, and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Get up and go into Damascus and start telling people about who I am. And Paul said, and so I obeyed. And has God told you to leave behind sin? Paul's sin was the persecution of his church. Your sin may be the hating of your brothers and sisters. Your sin may have been any number of other things besides persecution of the church, because I don't think many of you have that sin. Right? But Paul knew what his sin was and that God had called him out of it and so he testifies. And then he says, and this is, this is, this is, what, the, this is what the word of God has always said. He points them to the Bible. Do you see that? Can you do that? Can you say, you know, I used to want to live selfishly And I still do a lot of the time. But God has changed me so that 
I, by faith in Jesus Christ, see that selfishness as sin. And now I give myself to raising children. And that's just what the Bible says all along that women are supposed to do. And then they're going to look at you and then they're going to say, you're crazy. Right? But do you have any confidence that that is what the Bible said all along? That that's what the prophet said? That this is what God called you to? That's your testimony. It's, It's very easy. It's very straightforward. You've got the knowledge. You have the words. It's not, it's not amazing. Paul, I mean, the words aren't amazing. The words aren't these, you know, big, highfalutin theological concepts and so forth, right? It's very simple. Paul's testimony here to, the, to them is just very, very easy, very low. Very common words. Easy to say, easy to understand. You say easy for him to say. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> and I say, no, I know. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's easy to testify. Testifying is how we defeat this great serpent. Fighting the serpent, the dragon, that's not easy. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that knowing what to say, that's easy. God will give you the words to say in the moment. And then your deeds. Your deeds must conform to that repentance. And so you don't feel like your words could make a difference. And I say, look at Paul's words here. Are they really that, I mean, is there really anything that amazing about them? No. If Paul's words can make a difference, so can your words. Because it's not us, but it is the Holy Spirit speaking through us that accomplishes great work. And the most timid and pathetic and simple testimony will be sharp, will be powerful, will be filled with the Spirit because to testify is to give yourself to the work of God through you. And you think the dragon will fight back? Oh yeah, the dragon will fight back. You think the people will call you crazy? Oh yeah. They'll call you crazy. You think it'll cause a stir? It'll cause a stir. And then you know what'll happen? Somebody will call you crazy, and you'll just be like, I knew this was pointless. But what does Paul do? Festus says, Paul, you're crazy. So what does Paul do? He says, Agrippa. (laughs) And then he starts testifying again, doesn't he? Now, there are specific temptations about why not to testify and, and when not to testify. And They're both, they're broadly spread, okay? Uh, You'll have the specific temptation not to testify to the great. You know, I can talk to the normal people, but when I'm in the presence of the mayor, when I'm in the presence of, you know, the owner of such and such a business, then my testimony just has to be gone. Silent. Paul says he testifies both to great and small, right? And why do we not want to testify to the great? Well, because we don't want them to get angry at us. 
We don't want to lose opportunities. We want their approval. We want all the benefits that come from the great, thinking that we are of them. But are you of the great? And I don't mean, like, I don't mean the human description where uh, there's, this whole, there's this whole insecurity that, uh, that computer programmers often have, of, that they're faking it. Now, this, I know most of you in here aren't programmers, but there's this huge, you know, there's lots and lots of programmers in the United States, and like 60 to 80% of them feel like they're always just faking being able to do what they're able, what they're able to do. They've got this insecurity that they're not that 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 some one of these days somebody's going to figure out that really they don't know what in the world they're doing because so much of the time when you're programming you really don't know what you're doing and so when you're among the great right and you think you know you want to be among you want them to think that you're great and the great could be the people who are wealthy it could be the people who are highly educated and smart. It could be the people who are successful in the business that you want to be successful in, right? There's great in all sorts of ways in the human world, and you're among them, and you're just kind of like, if you have any self-awareness, a lot of the time what you're doing is just kind of playing along, pretending to be like in the same league as them in human terms, right? Right? But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying, are you as great as them? Are you as smart as the smart people around you? Are you as rich as the rich people around you? Are you as wise as the wise? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, are you of the great of this world? Not many were called from the wise, from the rich, from the great. But more importantly, the first will be last and the last first. Remember last week, the last two weeks, Jesus washing the disciples' feet? He, he made himself least? You're not among the great anyway. The great of this world. And so... You're afraid that the great are going to realize that you're not among them. Not that you're not as smart as the smart person. Not that you're not as rich as them. They already know that. (laughs) But that you don't even care about worldly wisdom. That you don't even care about money. That you don't even care about greatness in the eyes of the world. And what what does that reveal to them? That reveals to them that you are totally different. And it condemns the way that they have been living their life. Do you understand that? The very act of you being different, seeking after the things of heaven rather than the things of earth, building up treasure in heaven rather than building up treasure on earth, that very act condemns all who are building up treasure on earth. And so, no wonder we don't want to testify to the great, because the great have the power here on earth to make our life miserable when we begin to condemn them by our actions and by our words. And do you say, condemn them? By my words, too? And I say, well, yes, isn't that what it means to call somebody to repent? To say to your friend in the lunchroom, you should stop doing that. You should repent of it. That is not performing deeds according to godliness, righteousness. That is building up treasures here on earth. That is your pride making you do that. Or 
Why are you always a jerk to him? You ask somebody that when they've been trying to get you in on the being a jerk, you don't want to risk their wrath turning from that person to you, do you? And so you don't ask, why are you always a jerk to them? You just sit there and be like, I'm glad he's being a jerk to them and not to me. Ask it. You say, how can I ask it? And I say, testify. Testify to the work that God has done within you. To the change that he has made. Now you're thinking, well, I don't have any problem testifying to the great. I'm just one of those guys who has an easy time sticking my foot in my mouth anyway. So it's the small people that I don't want to testify to. They're just a waste of my time. They're never going to amount to anything. It's my kids that I really can't stand to bother with. Put me in a room with great people so that I can minister to greatness. It's the, it's the little small people that have all the needs that drive me crazy. And I hope that that's enough that I don't need to say more about that. Do you understand? Christ washed his disciples' feet. The small and the great are just two placeholders for everybody. We've got excuses on both sides of every split of people why we don't want to testify to them. Both Jew and Greek, Paul testifies to them. Both great and small, Paul testifies to them. The white and the black, the people in your neighborhood and out of your neighborhood, the people who you work with and you don't work with, the people who live with you and the people who don't live with you, the people who you know well and that you don't know well. I mean, immediately as I start saying these categories, if you're anything like me, you can come up with immediately a reason why that would be a hard group to minister to. And then I say, and then the opposite? Well, that would be a hard group to testify to. For a totally different reason, right? Will we withhold the testimony from all the earth? Or will we see the dragon defeated? It is through the blood of the Lamb and our testimony the devil, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is cast down. In other words, we have the power to cut through the lies of Satan as we testify to others. That requires us, though, to recognize the lies, doesn't it? And I've only given one example so far here today of the particular lies that our culture, the lie about children, right? But how many lies have we believed as a culture? And has God made you changed in that area? then you have knowledge of what the lie is. You have knowledge of what the truth is. 
You have evidence through your deeds. This is your testimony. These are the areas where it's most important for us to speak. He's been a liar from the beginning. You have a testimony in words, knowledge, and deed to drag down strongholds. What are the lies that you believe when you're in when you're at work <clears throat> or that the people all that all the people at work believe? What are the lies that all of the people at school believe? What are the, what are the lies that junior hires believe? Junior hires believe the lie that what? Anybody remember junior high? What, I mean, junior high has always believed the same lies. What are the lies? What? Nobody likes me, and therefore, I'll just have to what? I'll just have to make sure that I protect myself, or that I make people like me, or that, you know, it's this... There's, there's this huge social pressure that comes to bear through, through starting in junior high a lot of times, right? And then in high school, you develop and you, and you grow older and you begin to recognize new things. And, and there's new lies, Right? Have you seen your own sin in any areas of your life ever and then repented of it? Is there anything in your life that you have repented of? That's where your testimony begins. And you say, well, I I mean, I have, but can I really, I can't really talk about it because I'll just sound proud. Or I can't really talk about it because it's too embarrassing to admit that I used to think that or that I used to do that, right? But it's your testimony. It's not you being proud. It's you declaring what God has done for you. Paul's not being proud when he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And you look at, you look at somebody and you say, don't you want to have kids? I know you do. <laughs> you look at somebody and you say, don't you know what you were made to be? what you were made to do by God as a man, don't you want to do it? I know you do. And then you say, then you say what? They say, well, you're just trying to make me a Christian. Well, you you know, You say, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Really, it's not about, I mean, it's not about kids. It's not about whatever it is, right? (laughs) Really, it's about you becoming like me in, in every way except for these chains. You know, I, I want you to have all of the good things that God has given me But without you, without somebody sitting across from you thinking you're an idiot. Because <laughs> there's always going to be the chains, right? The, the chains are representative of the, the suffering that we go through when we testify. 
And so, yeah, you're not, you're not wishing that on them, but you know that it is going to come. We are, we are to be a people. We are to be a church. And, we, and I will continue to push you. Paul will continue to push you to be people who are testifying. And in our culture today, so much of the time, what churches are giving themselves to is testifying in all the areas where lies aren't being told by our culture, where Satan isn't dragging down the brethren, where Satan isn't attacking. There's no victory to be had today in saying that God has made black and white and we're all people. I mean, there is, but you guys, is that the lie of our, uh, of our culture? No. Sexuality is where the lie is today, right? And isn't that where you have been changed? Isn't that where you have been given repentance? Testify. That's the only place where you know what to say. I mean, oh sure, yeah, you know what to say about racism. Who doesn't know what to say about racism? Thousand people can say what what needs to be said about racism. But then who's going to risk being called a racist by calling a black man to be a man? Yikes. You have the words. You have a testimony. Time for us to speak up, like Paul. Let's pray.